0: Likutei Sichas, Chelik Yutes, that's volume 19, the first sicha for Parsha Shoftim. This sicha is an analysis on the mitzvah that's mentioned in this parsha, namely the mitzvah of Minui Melech, appointing a king, a Jewish king, and what is really the status of the king, what is the position of the king, what is the title of the king, we're going to learn all of that, and also... We'll see how that even applies in our lives. My own words now, perhaps as we are all connected to being monarchs in the sense that we are all considered b'nei melachim. So in a certain sense, we all have that kingly quality, that royal quality in us, and the Rebbe applies it into our lives. So let's begin. In chapter 17, verse 15, it says, That you shall... Certainly, a, p- a point for you, a king. So this is the mitzvah of appointing a king. In the medrash, and also we find this also in many of the halachic authorities. The king is always referred to as "quote," compared to the people, meaning he is like the people. He is the people. The people are him. In other words, he's everything. Okay, the entire generation is dependent on him. However, we find something very interesting. In the Rambam, the way the Rambam refers to the king, it says, quote, that the king is lave called kahal yisrael. The king is the heart. He compares it to the heart, that particular organ of the body of all the people. And the question is, we really need to understand why is it that the king is compared to to the heart of the of being the heart of the people. Like the, the Jewish people are considered to be one big body and the king is the heart. If anything, it would make sense, it would follow, that the king should be the head. Now, of course, we could understand it by presenting the argument that perhaps, because the heart is the one that provide, provides life to the entire body, therefore, likewise, as the king provides life to the entire body, therefore, he's compared to the heart. However, this is not sufficient, because we know that the king is the manhig. He is the controller, he is the ruler, he is the director of all the people. The king sets the tone for all the people. And if so, it would have been more appropriate perhaps for him to be considered like the brain slash the head of the people versus the heart of the people. Now, it's interesting that in the Torah, we also find also, that sometimes the king is referred to not as a king, but as a nasi, as a leader. Okay, where do we see this? You know, there are several uh, particular f- offerings, sin offerings, that are very particular for certain people holding certain status, certain stature. Meaning, when one sins, ordinarily, there is what's called a sin offering, or a guilt offering, that one sins uh, bishogig meaning inadvertently, unintentionally. However, what happens if somebody holds a very high position, such as the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, or the leader of the people, or in this case, the king of the people, then this is not just a blemish. This is not just a negative, so to speak, stain on a particular person. This becomes a stain, this becomes a blemish that affects the entire people, and therefore they have to bring an exclusive and a much greater, much more impactive offering in order to atone for that. So getting back to it, when the Torah refers to the king's offering that he would have to bring in a situation, in a scenario in which he sinned unintentionally, the Torah refers to him and says, "Asher nasi That in the case where a nasi, a leader sins, and the offering will be such and such. And over there, it clearly stated. It states in the Medrash that this is not talking about a nasi, the conventional nasi, a conventional leader, as we'll explain soon what that is. Rather, this is a direct reference, and it's talking about the king. So you see that the king is also called a nasi. But it's obvious that the title melech, which is king, versus the title nasi, which is just leader, it's obvious that the title king is is a much greater one, is a much larger one, if I may. Now, we do find very clearly in many of the commentaries, in many of the sources, many of the references, that the Nasi, the leader of the people, is always likened to the head of the people. But the question then is, if this is the case, it's true that the king is sometimes called a leader and like we just said the leader is the head of the people then how come when the king holds the highest of titles when he's being when it's being expressed in the highest form in the highest manner which is king then he's compared to the heart not not the head if anything he should be called the head then especially then more so than when he's called quote a leader in order to understand this let's first take a quick a closer look let's take to analyze the differences, the nuances, the difference the nuances between king and leader. In other words, what really do those, do, do those titles hold? What really do those titles represent? So let's take the title nasi, the title leader. We typically find throughout the Talmud, meaning in all the references, all the sources when it comes to the sages referring to one as a leader, that leader in particular refers to the heads of the Sanhedrin, meaning the legal authorities, the, authority, the academic authorities. They are typically called Nasi, the av Din, the leader, the highest uh, uh, the, 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 the highest jurist, the, meaning the leader of the Sanhedrin, he is called the leader of the people. Versus and, and what is and what, what versus a king? What is a king? A king, his description, meaning his job description, his purpose is not so much the, or perhaps even not at all, the uh, involvement in the judicial side of ma- of, of matters, in teaching halakha, in directing the people in Torah, but rather to lead them, you can say almost like socially... And, 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 and uh, economically, to, read, to lead them, as it says clearly, to make wars, to wage wars, to lead them in justice, but only to the extent where he imposes the law, where he imposes law and order, but not where he makes the law. In other words, he's not a legislative uh, leader, he is, oh, that is the Sanhedrin, he is particularly an implementer, somebody who rules the people. That is one difference between a leader, meaning a nasi, and a king. Let's take now a look at a second point in which they differ. A king, the halakha is, you know, there are laws in the Torah pertaining to a king. The halakha is that the people have to provide all the needs for the king. Not only all the needs, but all his wants, all his desires. What does that mean? As it says clearly in the Rambam, I'll just quote, paraphrase actually. The Ramam says he takes from the people all the strong men, and he takes them and he designates them as his soldiers, as his guards, and as his servants, even th- even to- as his motorcade, those people who should run ahead of his clearing the way, clearing the path for his chariot. And he takes the best of fields for the needs of the, of, of, of the monarchy, and he takes the best quality craftsman to do all the work that he sees in uh, as a need for him and for him to lead the people So you see that the people are there to provide for the king the king receives everything for the people In other words think of it from this perspective. He is somewhat he is dependent on them He needs the people So, uh, so he leads the people he is above the people but he is everything, he is nothing without the people. He needs them for everything. He can take everything for them because they must provide for him. Now think of it versus a leader, a nasi. What is a nasi? The leader, true, he gets paid from the people. Obviously, if he has his life fully and absolutely dedicated to studying, to teaching, to dealing with communal matters, with, with legislating halakha. Obviously, he doesn't have time to make a living, and he needs to he needs to draw a salary, but if you think about it in the essence of it, he is not being provided for by the people. The people are not giving him anything. He is earning his wages. In other words, he is self-sufficient. He is dependent on his own self. His work is what garnishes him, what gets him his wages, his salary on which he depends to live. So you have now two differences between a king and a leader. The, again, just to, to summarize, the, the leader, the Nasi, is particularly in the legislative uh, branch, whereas the king, king is in more the executive, the leader, the guy running the show. And then the di- another difference, we economically, where the leader relies on his own work in order to earn his living, so to speak, whereas the king depends on the people. If we look at this last point, we actually see Something which seems to be almost like a contradictory uh, of, of opposites, almost almost like two opposites within the same thing. From the one hand, you see how powerful the king is; that the entire people are subservient to him, and they have to do everything for him, and they have to provide everything for him, and they don't have a, 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 they don't have the ability to say no to refuse. In other words, he is everything; he calls the shots. But at the same time this also expresses not a strength, but a weakness that he is fully and absolutely, totally dependent on them. Without them, he's nothing. He doesn't have soldiers. He doesn't have anything. That's what it seems. So you see, in the one hand, it expresses the ultimate strength, the ultimate power. In the other hand, it expresses the ultimate weakness. This will help us better understand that why is it so? Because the king, what is the objective of a king? What is a king? The king's purpose is to serve the people. The king's whole entire being, his whole position, is that he is there, as it says, to bring the people, to take the people, to bring him into war, to take him out of war, to lead them, and everything it's not about he himself, it's not it's not anything about for him or exclusively about him, it's about the people. And since it's about the people, therefore he receives everything from the people. In other words, the people are dependent on him, but he's dependent on the people, because he's not someone for himself. And this will help us understand why the king is compared to a heart. Think about it. What is a heart? A heart is something that constantly beats. It's constantly going back and forth, back and forth. It's giving and it's taking. It's giving and it's taking. In other words, it's in a constant rhythm. It's in a constant movement. The whole life of the body depends on the heart, but the heart doesn't have anything without getting the blood back from the rest of the body. So, in the one hand, it gives entirely all the time. It's giving, 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 moving, doing. It's active all the time. Think of the heart versus the brain. The brain is calm. The brain almost has no action. Today, they have perhaps scans where they can see, you know, microscopic movement, electronic movement in the brain. But if you just imagine, you look at a living brain and a functioning brain, it doesn't move, it doesn't pump, it doesn't go in and out, up and down. It's just still calm, cold, no blood, just oxygen. It's a very, very reserved, very relaxed. That's one difference between the heart and the brain. Another difference between the heart and the brain is, think of it, the heart is actually the weakest of all the organs in the body. The heart is the most sensitive. The heart is prone to the most ailments. In fact, most people that die, unfortunately, die from heart disease. Various forms of heart disease. But the heart is the weakest. So on the one hand, the heart is everything. It gives and it's constantly working and it's constantly doing and it's the most active. And it has to be the most active. From all all of the organs in the body at the same time, perhaps maybe as a result, it's also the weakest. It's also the most vulnerable. It's the most sensitive. And this is because the heart does n- is not there, so to speak, for itself. The heart, its entire essence, its entire existence is there for the body. To constantly give, to constantly make sure the body is alive. We know that the very, very core of life comes from the body, from, from the heart. The very core of life of the body comes from the heart. So you again we can just to summarize it the heart is in a constant motion of givingness, a constant motion of activity and at the same time it is the weakest versus the brain, the brain is almost like separated it's almost like aloof it's as if it's independent from every from every, Uh, From all the other organs and therefore it's kind of very calm very reserved and therefore it's not so weak It's not known as a very sensitive. Yeah, of course if you hit the brain you can cause big problems But in and itself the brain doesn't get sick. It's usually if it gets affected It's by an outside agent causing something to the brain But the brain itself unlike the heart doesn't typically have its own illnesses like the heart does and it's very calm very relaxed Now we can have a better appreciation why the king is compared specifically to the heart. You see, the king, like we already said before, we began the explanation. The king is totally and absolutely dedicated to the people. It's not about him. And because of this, he is also like, quote unquote, weak that he is dependent on the people just like the heart has also an inherent weakness that it t- t- typically uh, tends to be the most vulnerable from all the all the other uh, organs this interesting difference between the heart and the brain that and that w- which helped us understand why the king is compared more to a heart than to a brain also exists within a person we know that the way we function, the way we do things, are governed by our intellect, by our sehel, and by our midois, by our emotions. But if you think of it, inherently, the, the intellect and the emotions of a person are two opposites, are two differences. and they really fit into these two differences between, like that we just described with like, the heart and the brain. Let's take the in- intellect. Intellect is what is to understand something. To really grasp an idea and to come to an intellectual conclusion the more one is seeking the truth the more one needs to connect the one i'm sorry the one more needs to um be distant from himself he needs to so to speak become aloof. He needs to become separated in order to just fully and absolutely dedicate the intellectual capacity in understanding that matter. If a person should have some personal interest in it, for whatever reason, may it be that he has an agenda, he has a bias, or whatever it is, then the intellectual integrity, the intellectual truth becomes altered. It becomes compromised because the person is not able to seek the truth. And really, at the end of the day, intellect is truth. Whereas, if you think about emotions, the whole idea of emotions is that you connect to something, that you have your feelings, you feel something about something, you feel you feel a closeness to something, you feel drawn to something, something gets you excited, and therefore you express either a loving quality towards it, and you want to get close to it, or you want to get distant from it, you have a certain hatred for it. All these things are emotions. So again, to summarize, in the intellect, the person is this, the, the, the intellectual function is to be distant from yourself, to remove yourself from yourself, to be ulterior. Whereas the heart, the emotions that is, just like compared to that, is that you are connected, you are invested in it, it's about you and your feelings. And therefore, what do we see? If you look at the difference between, in the function between intellect and emotions, we find also the expression, likewise, like we explained, by the brain, uh, pertaining to the brain and to the heart. You see, if you take, for example, emotions, emotions, you see a constant movement. The sign of an emotion is that you're excited. You're either very happy, you're very angry, you're very excited, you're very upset, you're very angry, you're very loving, you're very hating. There is there is a movement, there is some kind of there is some kind of action, so to speak. That's number one. But number two, on the other hand, as much as you see a powerful strength in an emotion. There's also an inherent weakness. What is the weakness? That it's not stable. It's not forever. Because an emotion can change. Today you can like something. Tomorrow you can hate it. Today you can have the greatest feelings for something. Tomorrow you can have the greatest feelings against that thing. Versus intellect. Intellect is very calm. is very reserved. In fact, in order to think, you can have noise you can't have excitement. Think of going to a library and you have to concentrate on something. You have to have less noise, less action, no action at all. That's when you can really think and think about it. When you reach a conclusion, I'm talking about a true conclusion, an emistic conclusion, which at the end of the day, as we said before, intellect really is supposed to lead to truth, then it doesn't change because truth is only one. If you re- if you reach that real Emma's conclusion, then you're never going to change. And now we can better understand why the difference between, quote, a king and a leader. The king's whole purpose is for the people. It's not about himself, it's about the people. It's about giving, it's about, it's about being there for the people. And therefore, he's compared to a heart. So, on the one hand, there's an expression of strength, and the other hand is the expression of weakness, like a heart. He's dependent on the people. Whereas a leader, what is really the capacity, as we explained before, what is really the purpose, the role of a leader? The leader is a Torah leader, the leader of the Sanhedrin, the guy who le- the one who legislates halacha, the one who tells the people what needs to be done according to Torah. He is the head. He is removed from the people, so to speak, and therefore he has that strength, he has that independence, which the heart does not enjoy. And think about it now, take it a step further. We know that ultimately, even the heart, as much as it's the one who gives life to the body, but the heart is dependent even on the head. And in this, we can see in this sense, it's true. The king who is the heart of the people, even he is beholden to the head of the Sanhedrin. Because even he has to follow the laws of the Torah, which is decided by the heads of the Sanhedrin. He is there to uphold and to, to, to ensure that the people follow what the Sanhedrin say. So even he is beholden to the head. He, the heart, the king, is beholden to the head, the head of the Sanhedrin. And here we find, to conclude, something very, very interesting. Typically, as we just explained, the heart and the head are two separate things. They cannot come together. They're two opposites. They function in different ways. They represent different things. Their purpose is different. But we do find something very unique. You see, the very first king and the very last king, the ultimate king, have a very strong commonality. In fact, we also know they're called Hu Goel Rishon, Hu Goel Acharon. There's the first redeemer, which is Moshe, and there is the final redeemer, which is King Mashiach. Only by these two exclusively do you find these two qualities come together. Where you see that even though this is an oxymoron and it's almost impossible, how do you bring two opposites together? But by Moshe we find that in one one hand he had the qualities of a melech, of a king. In the other hand, he had the qualities of a nasi, of a leader, meaning he was the Torah, the supreme Torah authority. And he was, quote, the king, the one who led him in war, the one who paved the way for them coming to Eretz Yisrael. Likewise with Mashiach, or perhaps even more, we know that Mashiach will be the ultimate king. That means as great as a king as there ever was, whether it's Moshe Rabbeinu or even David Hamalach, King David. But the epitome of kingdom, of kingship, of of of, of, of what it is to be a Jewish monarch will be expressed in king mashiach but at the same time what is his purpose also or primarily to be a teacher to be a rav not only is he going to teach all the people but it says he's even going to teach moshe rabbeinu himself and the patriarchs who really you can say you can argue are the origin of the torah but he will teach and give them insight even to them he will enlighten them